Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range to Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Range to Capital. With me, as always, my co-host and the founder of Range to Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, March 15th, and today we're going to start by talking about China trying to get on in on the Starwood Marriott marriage, and then we're going to go with some potentially devastating news for MLP investors. Uh, so, Chris, I was a little tempted to start us off with talking Valiant again since they were down 50% today, but uh, we've covered it so much recently I thought we'd go to some other big news. So, why don't you kick us off? Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the Starwood Marriott China deal? Sure. I might mention Valiant in tomorrow's M&A Daily. I have thought about it a little bit today. But uh, in terms of the Marriott-Starwood deal, Marriott wants to buy Starwood. Mm-hmm. And uh, an interloper, a, a new suitor arrived uh, from China, uh, Enbang. And uh, uh, the uh, yeah, well, what? situation gets to be uh, interesting. So it's kind of a bidding war. So Star- Starwood was very widely shopped last year. They underwent strategic process, offered themselves up to a lot of bidders. And uh, for a while, I believe people thought Hilton was going to buy them. And at the last second, kind of Marriott swooped in and bought them. And in November, when the deal was announced, it valued Starwood at $72 per share. Plus, shareholders would get about $8 per share in a little tiny spinoff uh of Starwood's uh, timeshare business. So the deal was going to be $70 in Marriott stock, plus $2 in cash, plus $8 in this spinoff. Well, Marriott shares and uh, the spinoff shares have declined by quite a bit since uh, November. And today, the total value of the transaction was worth about $72 to $73 per share. And over the weekend, Anbang, which is a big Chinese uh, insurance company, came in and offered $76 per share in cash, plus it's now $6 per share in timeshare value. So 82 versus a 73 offer. So they came over the top, and we could have a bidding war. So uh, Anbang has actually been in the news quite a bit recently, Chris. So who are they? What what have they been doing recently? They're a big Chinese insurance company. Mm -hmm. They are a voracious acquirer. Uh, they have recently bought uh, a company, another hotel company from Blackstone. They yep. uh, have recently bought a title insurer. They own the Waldorf in New York. And yep. They would like to own Starwood. So they, uh, they ten years ago, they were a very small Chinese insurance company. I, they were a provincial car insurer with seventy-five million in assets. By 2009, they had $5.1 billion, and then today they have over $250 billion. Their growth has been supported by deep ties to the Communist uh, Party leaders, and they have just been on a massive run buying U.S. properties. You mentioned they bought strategic hotels from Blackstone for $6.5 billion over the weekend, and Blackstone had just bought it for $6 billion three months ago. So a lot of people were like, wow, they paid a top, over the top for something yeah. that was acquired three months ago. They bought the Waldorf Astoria for $2 billion in 2015. And uh, I think all of those hotels are leading us people to wonder, you know, 
is Cepheus going to have any issues if they decide to buy Starwood? So what do you think there? Well, first of all, you used the word communist. And although I have not historically, <laughs> philosophically been a communist, I would say that my favorite communists are people who have over-the-top bids for <laughs> companies that I've invested in. Uh, I should say, full disclosure, my dad's actually gone over to China and lectured there at the university with the coolest name of any university in the world, the Party School. Oh, uh, my gosh. Love uh, it. Although it actually is the Communist Party school. But the <laughs> fact that they're bringing over free market economists says that they're terrible at being communists, but they might actually be good at being capitalists. Yep. Uh, the last thing that will change it will be the name on the door. Uh, but uh, CFIUS. Uh, so um, here we go. So the U.S. has a review process, a committee of various agencies uh, and departments that reviews deals that are covered by Exxon Florio, a 1950 legislation that's been updated a few times, that basically says, is this in our national security interest? Mm -hmm. It has four important standards. Uh, does the target have access to classified information? So we don't necessarily want foreign companies controlling companies that have top secret information. Reasonable. Pretty, pretty objective to decide that as well. Fair enough. Is it involved in activities related to weapons manufacturing? Pretty simple. Objective again. And then the two that get a little squirrely is produces certain types of advanced technologies useful in defending national security. Yeah. Provides products or services that could expose national security vulnerabilities, including potential cybersecurity. Yeah. And the biggie is proximity. So separate from what they're buying, are they buying something that's close to national security concerns? Uh, and recently we've had everything under national security. And I should say, before I sound too uh, flippant or disdainful, um, enter comments, he's too flippant and disdainful. <laughs> uh, uh, this, these are important concerns. However, there are also uh, important excuses for competitors and entrenched managements that don't want deals. Uh, and... Uh, so uh, they've blocked a wind farm because it was near... Uh, a naval base, uh, naval I believe. Base. Yep. Um, pork was considered national security at one point. Uh, flashlight bulbs. I mean, th there are a lot of deals that follow uh, yes. this. Uh, so recently, I think Cepheus has really been expanding mm -hmm. their kind of domain. And they, as you're saying, they've blocked a lot of deals that it's questionable if they were in, uh, if there was any security concerns there. Yeah. But what it was was China, you know, buying a lot of America, and yep. Cepheus took maybe took objection to that, and that raises another concern where people are saying like, oh my gosh, you know, the Chinese they bought the Waldorf Astoria, they bought strategic hotels for six and a half billion, they might buy Starwood. Like, is China buying the U.S.? Which I think is just the silliest concern. And uh, why don't you talk about the last time we had these concerns? Uh, I was. Five, you yeah, were because negative. I, <laughs> I hadn't been born yet. You have to cover uh, it. Uh, you, 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 you are a gleam in your grandparents' <laughs> eye. Uh, but uh, uh, Japan uh, was buying up a lot of American assets in the 1980s, and people were horrified by this. But if you look at the deals and the prices they paid uh, when they were buying up a quarter of everything we had, we should have said, why not buy three quarters of what yep. we have? Because bear in mind, we're not giving the stuff away. We're selling it. And uh, whenever this kind of cultural concern rears its ugly, ugly head, it's typically when somebody's paying very full prices, if not overpaying. Yeah. So look, 
when uh when you when you buy something, it's because you were the top bidder. Mm-hmm. And if you are a foreign conglomerate that has no synergies and you're just buying assets and you're winning all these things, it turns out you're probably overpaying. And yeah. in Japan's case, five to ten years later, they were often unloading all these assets that we had huge concerns over that they were buying. They unloaded them five to ten years later at 25, 50, 60 percent off. So it turns out, in hindsight, you probably want to just be pushing everything out to them. So uh, it's not a huge concern to me. If they beat Marriott for this deal, I think it's going to end up being great for the investors and not so great for them. But why don't I take what happens here because I want to run over to the MLPs in a second. So from here, uh, on Friday is the deadline for Marriott to match our beat and bang's bid or for Starwood to say, oh, we've decided we don't want to sell to them. Mm-hmm. Uh I think Marriott's probably going to raise the cash portion of their bid a little bit to match Anbang. Uh, they've got significant synergies with Starwood. They're trying to compete with Airbnb. There's going to be a lot of IT synergies, accounting, everything. So I think they'll probably raise the match. Uh, and Starwood's board's going to have an interesting dilemma. Let's say Marriott bids 80 and Anbang's at 81. Uh, Starwood's board does have the right to say, oh, it's more certain to close with Marriott because there's no CFIUS concerns. There won't be any financing. They can close very quickly. We've been working toward it. Towards it, so they'll be able to rule for a slightly lower Marriott bid. But if they're smart, what they'll do to Marriott is they'll turn around and say, "We're taking that bid unless you top it by a penny or you match it every penny and get the full and fairest price." And as we've mentioned, if Ambang for some reason does end up winning, I don't think U.S. Uh, investors need to despair. They'll have sold at the absolute peak, and Marriott won't have to be too sad because they'll also get a four hundred million dollar breakup fee. My message to Marriott on behalf of all Starwood shareholders is that they have to come in above the Ambang uh, deal if they want to close a deal with Starwood, that there should be no discount to the Ambang value, that they can get a deal past Cepheus. The only locale that seems to me to be problematic, <laughs> I will buy from them for a reasonable price. And them is Anbang you're talking right yes. now. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, across the street from the Treasury Department that houses the Cepheus reviewers is a W Hotel location that uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., that for uh, a price that uh, I consider fair, I will buy from them. But other than that one location, I think that Anbang can get this deal done. Also, I, I I have a little message I'd like to send to Marriott, which is the big concern with Ambang is uh, uh, that they will be uh, able to uh, sur- surveil uh, members of the, the, the public that stays at their hotel. Uh, President Obama recently has said that he would no longer stay at the Willard because Ambang owns it. He doesn't want to be surveilled. The Waldorf. The Waldorf. What did I just say? The Willard. Uh, yeah, Waldorf. Yeah. Let me say no, that uh, But uh, the last uh, major legal decision against surveillance in a hotel was against Marriott for $55 million, not against Ambang. So uh, Marriott needs to work on that too. Okay, so we're going to quickly go to MLPs. Before we get there, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. If you already follow us, be sure, please be sure to rate us. It means a lot to us, and we read every one. So, Chris, the bad news for MLPs. Uh there was last week a judge ruled that uh, Sabine, which is a bankrupt oil company, could get out of some expensive pipeline contracts with Cheyenne, 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 Cheyenne Energy as part of their bankruptcy, and this caused the entire MLP index to drop six to seven percent on the day on a kind of flat day for stocks. Uh, so, what is going on here? Why is this so concerning? The entire MLP investment universe 
entered into this with the view that they owned predictability. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, sadly, people tend to overpay for predictability. uh, That part of what they thought they owned, the midstream, was protected from the vagaries of upstream uh, exploration and production uh, that has highs and lows based on commodity prices, but not the midstream, not the pipelines. Uh, But as it turns out, their contracts uh, are decouplable from the land. They had this theory that they were utilities and that you couldn't separate the contracts from the land. Well, the first judge to look at this said, yes, you can. So so what happens is the the pipelines get built to, you know, oil-producing wells, fields, and everything— and when oil's at 70, all of these guys say, listen, we're going to pay a 5% dividend yield, and it's great. It's safe, and it doesn't matter how far oil prices drop. And oil prices have dropped so far that all of these people are declaring bankruptcy, and a lot of the wells might be worthless with these pipeline contracts. And you know, when oil was at 70, the big argument was these uh, contracts are not just tied to the company. They're tied to the well. So if anybody wants to buy the well or the field, they have to assume our pipeline company. Mm-hmm. And as you're saying, in this case, the judge came in and ruled, no, you don't. You can reject the uh, you can reject the pipeline contract. And it's going to be huge because now that uh, oil companies know that they can reject contracts in bankruptcy, it gives them negotiating leverage to go to MLPs and say, hey, you've got this contract where we promise we'll pay you, you know, a million dollars per year at minimum or a hundred dollars per barrel of oil or whatever we, we pump through your pipes, uh, whichever is greater. And you have to renegotiate that contract or else we're going to file for bankruptcy and we'll cancel the whole thing. So all these MLPs that are predicted on stability, they're realizing in this huge downside scenario, uh, they might not have that much protection. Uh, I thought it was interesting in – we've got some cases. uh, Quicksilver is another one. uh, Quicksilver is in bankruptcy. And they received two offers. Mm-hmm. One offer for their assets was $245 million if they could reject the pipeline contracts. And one offer was for $93 million if they could not. So it's going to have huge impact for the pipeline companies. It's going to have huge impact for all of these bankrupt oil and gas companies. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Uh, Chris, do you have anything else on here? You get what you incentivize. People like to say you get what you pay for, but value investing is predicated on the view that you don't necessarily. But boy, uh, these are tax havens. They can't retain earnings to build a strong, flexible balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So the IRS has created this monster, and the monster is undercapitalized. The monster is not integrated with other aspects of either exploration and production or marketing and refining. They are this strange monster of their creation and it's going to end badly and we mentioned it with core energy look it's a huge fixed assets that's Mm -hmm. dependent on these contracts that are with bankrupt people and many of them are externally managed so as you're saying not only can they not retain earnings but they're externally managed so their their manager is incentivized to grow at any cost and maybe take on this kind of uh existential risk so it's super interesting. There's a lot more. It's a topic that you could literally – there will be literally huge legal dockets written yeah. on it. So I, it's kind of unfair to cover it in five minutes. But I would, go I ahead. throw out also that the idea of cooperation with strangers feels sweet and charitable when things are going really yep. well. And then when things start to go badly – cooperation is the shadow of the future as long as you have a long shadow of the future you can cooperate but when your counterparty 
disappears or is in bankruptcy, the shadow of the future disappears, cooperation disappears, it ends up being very contentious very fast. Such a great point. When oil goes from 70 to 65, these contracts are solid gold, but when it goes from 70 to 30, these contracts mean nothing. Everyone's bankrupt. So uh, I think that's all the time we have today. Again, if you like this contract, please be sure to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you already follow us, please be sure to rate us. We really appreciate it. And before we sign off, some disclosures. We are long Starwood, ticker H-O-T. We are long no MLPs. We are long no MLPs. I don't think we are long any other uh, stocks we talked about today. Uh, we made transact in the securities discussed in this podcast following its publication. Everything discussed during this podcast represents only our opinions, and we will talk to you tomorrow.